Hey, it's George Free. Welcome to another Martial Arts Media Business Podcast. So today I am interviewing one of our great clients, one of our members of our partners community, Kyle Reber. Kyle is from Brisbane, uh, Chikara Martial Arts. You can look them up. And this interview is a bit of an extension from the Partners Intensive, which is an event that we hosted here on the Sunshine Coast in just in, in the beginning of June. And uh, Kyle was one of the featured speakers talking about the things that they are doing in the community. And what is mind-blowing for a lot of other school owners is Kyle and his team, they're just pushing past the 370-member mark. And at this point, they've only focused on organic marketing strategies. It's all about community. It's all about giving back. It's all about the things that they do within in their school and the impact that they make within their community. And so I wanted to get Kyle on and just dig a bit deeper, talk a bit more about the strategies, what they do. And great thing is I've been working with Kyle for a little more than six months and I haven't really tapped into that backstory about how he got started on this journey, when they opened their school, what got him into martial arts. And so this was a great opportunity for that. So Jump into the episode. All the show notes and resources are on our website, martialartsmedia.com forward slash 145. That's the numbers 145. Head over there and download the transcript and resources. That's it. Let's get started. Jump in. Ladies and gentlemen. Hi, everybody. Good evening. Are you ready? Keep this frequency clear. I know you're going to dig this. I am. Okay, here we go. Check, check it out. You're listening to the Martial Arts Media Podcast, where you, the martial arts school owner, gets insider tips and secrets from leading experts to help you build a more profitable martial arts business. Now, here's your host, the founder of martialartsmedia.com, George Faree. This podcast episode is the audio version from a video that was published on martialartsmedia.com. For the full episode, to download the transcript and get all the show notes, head over to martialartsmedia.com. Enjoy. Mr. Carl Reaver, welcome to the Martial Arts Media Business Podcast. Thanks, George. Thank you for having me. It's a, uh, it's a pleasure and an honor to be here. Awesome. Long time coming. Long time coming. Third time lucky. <laughs> Third time lucky. Hey, so uh, thanks for jumping on. I'm really excited about this conversation. And what I'm excited about is I know you for a little while. We've been working together for a little while. Um, and I haven't really tapped into the back story of mm -hmm. you and how everything came about. So I'm, I'm really excited to chat about that and just witnessing a lot of the things that you're doing in your school and how you approach things differently. But first up, I always like to kick off this being, we always talk about marketing and attract, increase and retain strategies. If you have to share, what is the one thing, your go-to strategy that's helped you grow the school the most, generated the most students, strategy that you always lean on, that you always go back to and repeat over time? I guess our biggest, our biggest strategy or our biggest way of generating business is always it always has been referral. Um, but I guess if you were to put that into a strategy, a strategy is our, our image and our standing in the community. Because if we 
have a good image standing in the community and members come to join, they're very quick to refer to other people that they know about what we do. You and I have had conversations in the past about Facebook marketing and all that sort of stuff. Without sounding arrogant, that's still quite foreign to us. And I guess we've been very lucky that we're able to build the club to where it has gotten um, purely by just referral, word of mouth. Like we'll have whole families train. Um, we have people very willingly wanting to involve themselves more in what we do externally. So I think, yeah, referral has been always something that's been very good for us to lean on. Um, and it's something that's very important to us, like our culture and community is, is a real backbone of what we do. So much so that, you know, like it's not, it's something that we really strive to, I guess you'd say, protect. Um, we will, as every club has, we've had people come in in the past over the years that haven't been a fit for that culture and community. And we've had to have conversations about like, maybe this isn't the place for you because the, it's such a strong thing that works so well for us and it's continuing to work. I mean, we essentially, from an advertising point of view, it's only in the last 12 months that we're really starting to look at Facebook ads and formal advertising. Prior to that, it was just community. I love that. So I think it would help just for listeners context of where you're at in the business because mm -hmm. for, for most guys, they, you know, to get to the level of growth that where you're at, it's taken some substantial advertising, investing in Facebook marketing, et cetera. Um, so, yeah. so where are you currently at with, with student numbers? So student numbers, we're hovering around probably the, I think we're a, probably a, as of this week, we're sitting around that 360, 370 mark. Um, we've had some real great growth this year, but I think the thing for that is we've also had years where, you know, we've, we've grown quite slowly. Um, but yeah, our numbers are very good. We're really focusing this year on our community and our culture and it works for us. But yeah, I mean, look, we've been in, the club itself has been open for, this is our 28th, no, this is our 27th year. So it hasn't, very certainly has not happened overnight, but I think we're finally getting a rhythm. The 27 year overnight success. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> and look, that was, you know, 11 of those years I was working full time in another field that um, was incredibly demanding and it was full time slash seven days a week. So there were, you know, the lowest, our lowest point ever of members was six. We had six members. So I think it's that, you know, when, you, when you're trying to grow, I, I say to my instructors when they're complaining it's a quiet night or whatever, oh, we've only got 20-something in this class. And I say to them, guys, that used to be our whole club. You know, so it's, it's trying to just chip away. Um, I said it over a weekend at a seminar, just hurry up and be patient. I want to loop back into this, but I think it's good to then just go back to your beginnings, right? Because 27 years, now you're doing, some, you're doing well, and I want, to, I want to come back to why you feel, what is this momentum, what is driving this? But how, how did it all start for you? And you're mentioning you were working a full-time job, 
there were six students. Yeah. Um, so I started martial arts when I was 15. I turned 48 next week, so add that up. Um, I um, grew up in a country town in country Queensland. Uh, the martial art I started was purely based on that was closest to our house. I could walk there. Um, I was never a team sport person. Um, I raced BMX semi-professionally when I was young cool. as well. So I liked, I liked relying on me, me and me. Um, so I got into martial arts there. I moved to um, Brisbane when I was about 19, 18, 19. Um, picked up um, Zendo Kai. Ironically, my instructor grew up in my hometown, um, raced Speedway with my dad. You know, my, our, both our mums knew each other, so it was kind of this aligning. Um, and he moved back to Brisbane uh, back to Maribyrnong, sorry, to work in 1996. At the time, that club, so it was Zendo Kai that we were doing predominantly then. There was a little bit of the BJC Muay Thai that we'd started doing as well. And it wasn't a, there wasn't a push as such. It was kind of just a, um, an obligation. You know, I have to move back. There was probably about 15 people at the club. Um, just the, the two nights a week in a scout hall in uh, Western Brisbane. And it was just, a, are you right to take it over? And I can't even remember the conversation. I was just, yep, okay. And it just went from there. Um, I was working full-time in uh, security, which started as a weekend gig, but I ended up being the operations manager of that company. And I was with them for nearly 20 years. So I was doing our, our our niche in our stuff was a lot of concerts and festivals so it was good because i was getting to um practice everything on the weekend and then come back in club on the during you know in the uh during the week and go so this works this doesn't work this works this doesn't work <laughs> um don't do that because that happens so i i would always call it i was fast tracking my students and that job was great I saw a lot, I did a lot, but it meant that from a time point of view, you know, and again, this is in the late 90s, early 2000s, I think you could have counted on one hand how many full-time schools were in Brisbane. I always think we can be sometimes 10 plus years behind the likes of Melbourne and Sydney. So I was doing that job we'd not long had our my wife and I had not long had our second child I was working more than I was sleeping and it just got to a point where I was like well maybe if I create a new job so I had this weird concept about going full-time it was the dream and you know my wife and I talked about it extensively we just randomly found a, a shed for rent when we were coming home from Bunnings one Sunday morning and went in, it was a month-to-month -month lease and we ended up being there for eight and a half years in that place. And for the first 12 months, I was working my full-time job still and trying to get CMA or Chikara Martial Arts, as it was called back then. I was trying to get that off the ground. So I was essentially working two jobs 
Um, and the idea was if we got to, you know, if we got to 50, then and then if we maybe got to 100 or if we could manage when we started the shed, we thought, okay, we've got a little bit in the bank, we can do six months rent. And if it doesn't fail, if it doesn't work in six months, that's it, we're out. And we were covering rent plus more in six weeks. So um, it just exploded. Um, our first open day, and we've spoken about open days before, it was probably the most archaic slash embarrassing open day advertising you would have ever seen. And we signed up nearly 40 members in one day. And for, for me back then, I'm like, oh my God, what have I, what have I created? So I had stars in my eyes at the start. Um, and then I made the big, big decision. Um, because yeah, I mean, I started with that company that I was working with as a teenager and now I'm in my mid thirties, like, you know, so that company had seen, you know, the, I'd had the same boss the whole time. So we were a bit like a family. So leaving that was hard. So for the first 12 months, I was working in the, um, of leaving, I was working in the shed and then I was just working in a bottle shop, just making up the gap. Um, so the growth has been very progressive. We, um, after that 12 months, I managed to go full time or as a lot of people were calling it at the time I was retiring. Um, but I think it's just been the hardest, you know, I'm, I'm working the hardest I think I ever have. But I think now we moved into a second centre. Um, well, we moved, <laughs> we moved in there 2019 and we were, we're in there for like, I think, four months before COVID hit and we had to shut down. But that progressive move, I think, has been what has kept us around for 27 years. Um, it's not without its dramas, um, there's, but there's just so many good movements. But, you know, I guess as, as far as advice, I see so many martial arts instructors wanting to go full time and they just want to go completely in right from the start, you know, the, the full-time place right away, the, the best mats, the best gear, everything, and they start essentially, and then this is just the way I see it, they start on the back foot straight away. So they're already having to get business loans. They're, they're already, you know, however many thousands of dollars on the back foot right from the start. We were, it certainly wasn't intentional, um, but we've been lucky enough to never really have a, we've never had a business loan. We've just progressively chipped away, built and built and built because I think I see what a trend now in the industry, you know, from our, where we are within a 5k radius of us, I think there's eight full-time martial arts schools. So they're just everywhere now. So it, it's very, um, I think you have to be very methodical and make sure you are just chipping away doing something every day to grow. Very cool. So what beliefs did you have to overcome? If I look at martial arts school owners that I, that I talk to, hmm. there's so much in the mind that you've got to conquer first. But yep. belief about your martial arts, belief about your value, belief about yourself. And then I think the big question is, do you actually... Like, how badly do you really want this? It's, it's okay to not want it, but I think you've got to be honest with yourself 
it's nice to think, hey, I can have this full-time school and I can have this. But there's a there's a big gap there between, well, I'm here and maybe, and I like we've got a lot of people in our group that have got high-paying jobs, high careers, and the martial arts is just a side gig. And it would be really hard to make that full-time switch. And yeah. and then there's others that, um, you know, that, that's the big aspiration. So if you to go back to where you were, like what are the things that you had to conquer just internally to to get you to take those steps? One major thing I had to conquer was that as much as you're, and I'm still trying to conquer it to be totally honest, as much as you're plugging this community side of things and it's important to you, plugging it makes it sound like it's not important, is probably the most important thing because there's guys at the club who have, you know, my, my oldest daughter's 16, my youngest one's nearly 13. They held them as babies and now they're teaching them as teenagers. So the the hard thing is the probably the biggest thing for me was switching from that I always call ourselves a club, but at the end of the day is it is it, it is a business and your time is is precious um, and your time is worth something. Um, I think for a lot of us martial arts instructors, imposter syndrome is real. And I think if you're not if you're not dealing with that a little bit at some point, that could be something to do with maybe checking yourself in and having a look at your humility. We are very good at what we do. And if you put, I always say to um, some other smaller club member, uh, club owners that I mentor, if you were to write a resume of how much time and years that you've put into where you are, and then you equate that into another job, think about what you'd be getting paid. So I had a conversation once a little while ago with a an instructor in a suburban club, but very good. Um, and I was sitting with one of my students who is a um, police officer, and she said, you know, we were talking about time and money and how much your time is worth. And this guy had worked out that he'd been basically training and perfecting his craft for about 17 years. So I said to the instructor, the student of mine who was sitting there who was a police officer I said so if we transferred that over to the police what would that equate to I guess financially and rank wise and she said well you'd be at least a senior constable and you'd probably be on the better part of a hundred grand a year yet this guy was having real trepidation with going from teaching 10 bucks a class to 15 dollars a class so the big thing is, I think, is underselling ourselves and putting up our prices is just something that's still for me, I know how much we're worth, but it's something that I still struggle with. I'm struggling with it less, but I think that, and you would see too, the amount of martial arts clubs and instructors that are just underselling themselves is, is ridiculous. Um, what, what that's probably that a big one. I think because we doubt ourselves, and again, don't get me wrong, there's, there's people out there that have this, and I, I envy them, have this, um, I guess they're in touch with themselves more that they go, nope, I am worth this, this is, this is good. Um, but I think we still have this, I don't know whether you'd call it a suburban 
mentality um, as opposed to no, this is a business. And I think without, I don't know, I think the community sometimes forgets that we are a business too. Um, you know, like we're not just, and I, in Australia, for Australia especially, like there's been full-time clubs in the States since the 50s and 60s. But in Australia, I think there is still that martial arts that we are in a, um, you're just in that scout hall or community hall a couple of times a week. You just pay as you go. We've got bills to pay as well. Um, I think we're breaking out of that. In Queensland, we seem to be anyway. But I think uh, it's making the way we, I think, make it easier for us, and this is something that I'm always working on, and I'll admit I don't always get it right. The more professional you are, the more when it comes to, you know, people paying for your services, that it's that they have less of an issue handing that over because I guess they're seeing what they get in return. You know, like the suburban nights where, you know, the kids would show up for class and the the instructors not showing up or they're late from work or they're this and that. So professionalism is a thing that's huge for me. I'm constantly trying to work on it because you have one slip up and you're like, Rah! but um yeah, I think that's that's a big one for me is, you know, I have um like I said, there's other instructors that I mentor and that's the first thing that I'll say to them. And it's kind of flowing downhill from the conversations I've had with you about you you could easily add X amount to this and no one would bat an eyelid. Because if people are training with you just for the price, then then, you know, in a without sounding horrible, how how much time are you spending on them for that amount of price? Yeah, hundred percent. I think for me, because that's one of the first conversations I always have to have when we take on people into our, our partners group is charging. It, I, I always thought it would, it's just the easy thing. Look, you just got to up your prices, <laughs> but, but it's, it's unpacking the beliefs that come with that. Sometimes it's just, it's just so ingrained in the culture, right? You've been told mm. money doesn't grow on trees and, um, you know, then people Flick around a McDojo words that nobody even knows what it actually means. It's just a word that people can flick around. Um, sometimes it's the tall poppy syndrome, the crab in the bucket. Other people are yeah. just dragging them down. And it's like, you can charge more, just not more than me. <laughs> I sometimes feel it's a, it's a comparison of what it is versus what it does. If your pricing strategy is looking at what everybody else is pricing and what they do, then that's then you're just one of everyone else. And so now you're comparing, well, I'm in a yeah. school hall and they're in a full-time center, so I've got to charge less. But hang on, what if your value exceeds the club in the full-time location? What if the outcome that your martial arts delivers is more? Which means if you can articulate that, you can charge more. This is why I, I very rarely, I won't say I don't because sometimes I do, but I very rarely look at what other clubs are charging, um, look at what other clubs, like their classes or that sort of thing because it's not, it's, it's not to be arrogant. I'm, I'm not selling their product. I'm selling my own. So 
if I'm confident in what I'm doing, I'm confident in my instructors, and I put a bit of pressure on them, you know, and I, uh, I think if you focus on you and your growth and you focus on your professionalism, I know for a fact, without getting into money too much, I know for a fact we are probably one of the higher-end um, fee schools in our area, and I don't lose any sleep over that. I mean, our, I think our product is strong. I think our community is strong. Our center is so clean. I think it sometimes looks like a museum more than anything else. Um, it's air conditioned. It's, it's in a nice place. We have all these other things. Sure, there's things we always work on, but the amount of people that walk into our place and go, I didn't expect this place to be so clean, neat, tidy. It's air conditioned. We have a, we have a polite team at the desk. We have all this sort of stuff. That sells everything. Like the, the parents that come in in particular, again, not to downplay on them, but they're not there to check your curriculum and check all, you know, what, what you're teaching. You know, you're doing this form at this rank. Why aren't you doing it at this rank? Are the, student, are the instructors nice? Is the place clean and tidy? Do they come here and does their child feel safe? Tick, tick, tick. Okay, sign me up. And I think that that's one area that we miss. Like you see a lot of um, like fight gyms or suburban clubs, for example, and God bless them, we were there once too. They focus so much on the training, the training hard, train this, train hard, 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 hard. But that's one reason maybe why your club's got only 10 students and you're training in someone's garage. It's, it's not the fact that you're, you're having to soften what you're doing in order to grow. You've just got to think more of the masses. I mean, we, um, we do a lot of work. Well, I do, it kind of fell into it, do a lot of work with um, kids with autism, um, kids who have been bullied a lot at school, mental health issues. Um, and half the time, a lot of our stuff is that we just chat with them. You know, I, I do PTs with kids where I take them for a walk and they leave, they leave the walk. You know, they leave for the walk all angry, and then they come back and they're all rejuvenated. And the parents go, "I pay three times what you charge for that," you know. And it's that's the sort of thing where you go, "Okay, we're we're doing something right across the board." Like you can have great martial arts and be awesome at what you do, but the back end stuff. And this is what I'm working on the most now in the business more than ever before. The front end I'm confident in, it's the back end stuff. That's a massive transition for people, I think, when they start going full time, that they have to actually get off the mat and sit in front of a computer more than they're willing to do. 100%. So <laughs> I want to loop back mm -hmm. to the beginning of our conversation because you were talking about or, um, organic growth and yep. you know where you got to without, this without the advertising. And I think a good transition for this when we hosted our uh, partners intensive event we have for our, our mastermind group and we had a few guests come along we hosted it sunshine coast grandmaster zolfi flew in from houston texas it was amazing and i had the whole lineup planned and, and ready to go and i recall you sending me a message and said uh George, I, I love everything that you're doing. And I look at all the speakers and everything is driven mm. for revenue and money and, and, and growth, which is fantastic. 
but I think I can just add a different flavor to this because we've done all this growth without focusing on that stuff and just focusing on the things that we do. And that led to you also having a great talk on at, at the Partners Intensive and yeah. inspiring everybody with the things that you've done. So let's look back to that conversation. Yep. <laughs> um, firstly, thank you again for that opportunity because I deliberated over sending that message for well over a day. Because, wow. okay. <laughs> well, at the end of the, like, I didn't want to be that guy like, this timetable is great, but where, where's my slot? Like, I, I didn't want to think of it like that. I was, because I, you know, I said to you, maybe if, if I just had 10 minutes just to explain this is what we do, do, you know, and um, then you come back and go, oh, no, what we'll do is we'll give you the 90 minute slot. You got to go this. And I've just gone to my wife. Oh, this, is, this escalated quickly. Um, but, but I guess the thing that I noticed was, and as much as we've just spoken about, you've got to treat it like a business, you've, you've got to, make sure the money is right and everything there. Cause I know like if, if you were to, um, if you were to get in touch with my accountant, I think I'm in his top three, top three people that he just literally sees my name pop up and doesn't want to deal with me. He goes, God, you're lucky you can fight because this, this is not your forte. And he's right because I focus all on the other side of things. But I think to answer your question, the thing I saw was, how to do this and make a lot of money, how to do this and make a lot of money, how to do this and make a lot of money. The thing I thought was if you, not that you're not wanting, it's hard to explain, but not if you're not wanting to make a lot of money, but if you're focusing completely on something else, that will make you a truckload of money if that's the way you want to look at it. Um, and I use this saying all the time, let your passion pay the bills. Because the last thing you want to be like, if we think back to why we started martial arts, I think 1% of us started martial arts because we want to run a full-time school and be a millionaire. And if that's what you're doing, great, but I'm nowhere near that. Um, but the one thing I don't want to lose is I don't want to lose my passion for martial arts. And the more you get into the business, the more it goes up and down because, yeah, I, I love doing martial arts and I want to train, but I got to have this meeting with the accountant. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. So if you let your passion pay the bills, if you look at everything you're doing on the back end, people are literally, and it won't happen every single time, but for us, it happens a lot. People walk in. They see the way we treat each other. They see the way we treat them. They see the way we treat our staff. They see the way we treat everybody else. And they literally walk back after their trial lesson or whatever and go, sign me up. I want to be a part of this. Um, we will rarely say to people, you know, join, join with us and we'll make you a world champion or this and that. Join with us and we'll just make you a better person. So I think getting back to that community thing again, it has, you know, it was never a business strategy. And to be honest, if you really want to go to the roots of it, the previous style I did, which was fine and great, you turn up on the Tuesday night 
and you train. And it'll be, okay, see you Thursday. You turn up on the Thursday night, you train. Okay, see you next Tuesday. And that was it. As soon as I started Zendo Kai, you weren't just training with these people. You were in, you were part of their lives. You know, you become, you know, family, you become family, you become their friends. You were, and it was this community that I really went, I really like this. I want to be a part of this. And it was the major, major thing. And like going back to when I raced BMX, like I raced BMX, I rode skateboards. I think the last time I played a team sports was under 11 soccer. And that was it. That I'm done because I hated the fact that if I let somebody down, that the team got, you know, the team suffered. But I say to people now all the time, martial arts is a team sport, you know, and we have this community. You know, it's it's so it's so interesting to watch um, a kid come and do a trial, and the parent walks in. And then they realize there's another parent there that they know. And they come over and they start chatting. Like, I didn't know you came here. Yeah, I do. We love it. This is great. And they just walk over. Or a random parent will come over and just start saying to this parent, oh, yeah, this place is really good. We love it here. Uh, they're selling it for us. You know, those community pages where people go looking for recommendations for martial arts, they're, they're advertising for us. So it's just, um, yeah, it always blows me away and it's very humbling. And I, like I said, like everything, there's times we stray away a bit and we drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak. But um, it's, it's something that just it seems to, and the bigger we get, the bigger referral base we get, you know. So, yeah, we have, we have whole, you know, whole school groups, you know, like a school, we go there, oh, these kids all train there. So it's, it, it's just interesting. And always, it's quite humbling. It wasn't. It wasn't ever the expectation. I love that, and and no amount of advertising can fix or inspire no. that. Um, and I think that's the thing for us. We we put a, a flyer, a digital flyer, for example, up on our socials. We might get, I don't know, half a dozen likes or whatever. We put up a picture. This is such and such. They came to us, they were so timid, they wouldn't speak, blah, blah, blah. Now they're one of our assistant instructors. And that's, um, that gains so much more traction. And I think getting back to one of the reasons why you think sometimes um, school owners have issues growing, I think one reason is we have to find the line between being proud of what we do. Um, I would say, a little bit arrogant, like you're, you're not the best. There is, there is no definition on the best. But also you have all these momentous achievements, like you'll run into a kid. I just saw the other day a kid I trained as like a six-year-old, um, friends with him on Facebook, he just turned 30. And you just go, oh, my God. But like I ran into that same kid about two or three months ago just at a shopping centre and he brought up. I remember when I was a kid, you did this and this and this, and you made me do these push-ups, and I always look back on that, and you laugh. You know, oh, yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. But just that one interaction you had with him, they remember that for the rest of their lives. Um, and I think 
that's the thing that we need to celebrate and we also need to be proud of. But again, that, and I talked about it before, that imposter syndrome, if I put that up, am I going to seem like I'm really up myself? Am I going to seem like I really rate myself? You're not. There's, and that's the thing we get it. We get it very confused with being proud of what we've done, and you know, basically broadcasting. If you've got a student that, you know, when they came to you, were that nervous and had that much anxiety that they didn't want to stand on the mat, and now they're standing out in front of the class taking a warm up of adults, celebrate that because that's you know that's a huge. parent will read that. that. Yeah, yeah. A, a parent will read that. They will talk to their partner and they will go, that's where we send our kid. And do you know what? It doesn't, not every kid that comes in, you know, there are kids that have come in and for whatever reason, it just doesn't click. But there's a lot to do. So I think that's something you need to make sure you're celebrating as well. So with this, right, you've, you've got a, and you're very articulated with your words and I'll, I'll bring something up here in a minute. but. I notice your slogan is back yourself. Yep. How did that originate? And how does this blend in with this community oh aspect? God. Now, I feel like I need to lay out on a leather couch. I'm feeling in that sort of position. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, look, to be totally honest and vulnerable, probably about six and a half years ago, probably about six years ago, yeah. Um, the club... And myself personally went through quite a rough time. Um, and there was a lot of doubt in myself and what I had achieved and what I had done. And again, like I said, I keep coming back to that imposter syndrome because I think any humble instructor has it. Um, and a long story short, we had a lot of instances where I was just going like, you know, I don't think this is working. I don't know if we can actually keep doing this. Like, where is the end? And a mentor of mine who um, I value her deeply, she just basically said to me in a conversation, she said, I think the problem is you just need to back yourself. You just need to go, I can do this this is me, this is what we do, and you need to back yourself. And I just <laughs> didn't click into marketing mode straight away. And I went, you know, I told a couple of people of the conversation. And then we were redesigning our T-shirts because prior to that we'd had a couple of other slogans, which was great, and they were, they were awesome. Um, and I just said to someone, I think I'm going to use this saying, back yourself. And they just went, that's brilliant. And I said, I think it covers everything. I said, I've, and this is, this is again, it's, it's, it's not about, and I, I, you know, another piece of advice for martial arts school owners, it sounds so contradictory, but if you really want to market yourself and market your club, make sure that you, market a that you're not just teaching martial arts you're teaching kids how to be better at life and adults but also market that you're not infallible that you every day 
will stuff something up, you know, and I see that so much in higher-ranked martial artists and I, I think that's one thing we need to make sure we're doing. Like we need to back ourselves. I'm going to give this a go. It may not work, but we'll see what happens. So, yeah, the back yourself um, slogan. I thought about um, we did a new run. We rebranded a little bit about I think nearly two years ago now and I tossed up getting rid of the back yourself and I even had all the proofs and everything done up for the new T-shirts and whatever and then I just at the last minute went, nah, I'm going to keep it. So, um, yeah, we've, we've kept it. It's, it's, um, it's humbling now because we've probably got about half a dozen people that have got the, the CMA tattoos or the kanji and they've got that, you know, that kanji logo <laughs> and I don't. Um, and um, one of them has hashtag back yourself tattooed on him and I just go, <laughs> I guess it's a reminder. So, yeah, it was, a, um, it was just a conversation that just really struck home and, yeah, I can't see us changing it anytime soon. It's such two powerful words, um, and and I never knew the depth of it. But if you just, it's it's a kind of two words that are so simple. But then you've got to you got to repeat and repeat it to yourself and ponder over it. Like, okay, back yourself. Well, that there's so many layers to that. Um, there is, and I think that's the problem as coaches. If you really want to be a good coach, you need to show whoever it is you are coaching that you are not perfect either um, and you make mistakes. Like my students, say from a jiu-jitsu point of view, I've got, you know, there's, there's kids that are doing jiu-jitsu with me, like uh, say 19-year-old, 20-year-old blue and purple belts. So when they were born, I'd already been doing jiu-jitsu for two or three years. Um, I've got a, you know, black belts in their early 40s, same sort of thing. They're handfuls. So I could just stand in the background and just not roll with them. Or with my body, and, you know, we've all got our share of issues when we get to this age, um, I still move around with them. They'll tap me out. My body will just go on a spot. But I'm showing to them that I'm still willing to jump in and do what I can and still move because one day those guys will be an age where they're having to look at that and the vulnerability to be that sort of person that is training and moving no matter what, again, you've just got to back yourself. You, and, you're, and you find your students will respect you more the more honest you are not just with them but the more honest you are with yourself. Um, if, if your students can see that, you know, there's days where you don't want to go to training, there's days where you, the alarm goes off and you go, I don't want to do this. Um, I think that makes them respect you more because I think maybe sometimes we feel a need as coaches to put ourselves one or two runs higher than our students. Um, I feel the more that they can see that you're going through your own stuff and you're more upfront with it, um, I think that gives you a lot more respect. Love that, 
So Kyle, last couple of things. You, mm-hmm. Your social media, um, and yes. anyone listening, I if Kyle accepts your friendship, of course, <laughs> but I highly re- recommend uh, looking Kyle up, Kyle Reba on, on Facebook. Um, so Kyle's got this thing uh, that he writes, and he's really prolific about it. Um, and I'll, I'll give you a glimpse of it. So every week, uh, Kyle does this thing. It's called Things I've Been Reminded of This Week. Um, and so I'll give you a quick glimpse. Um, this was two days ago here on the Sunshine Coast. And thanks again for inviting me over to your, um, your, your gathering. That was great to, great, great to visit and, and, and uh, yeah, be able to add a little bit of value mm. on the Saturday night. That was great. Thank you. Back to this. So this was two days ago. Things I've been reminded of this week. It was a massive week. Number one, keep your faith larger than your fears. Two, the greats never get bored with the basics. Three, factor non verba, deeds not words. Four, review your definition of discipline. It's not what you may think it is. Five, if you're everywhere, you're nowhere. Very cool. Six, character is fate. Seven, there's always room for more dessert. <laughs> Eight, just train. Nine, there's a magic in a sunrise. Ten, Friendship over everything else. 11, a coffee and a comfy seat can always solve all the problems in the world. 12, how you do one thing is how you do everything. 13, always be in search of the truth. And then there's a photo of you, really cool photo at, that's at Alex Beach, right? I, yeah, at the, just, um, there's that grassed area just next yeah. to the surf club there. Yeah, that was uh, at Sunrise. That's such a magical little area because every night, everybody just sits on that lawn and it just, uh, there's something yeah. truly special about that. It but is. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about these posts. Personally, I feel it needs to be a book. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's on the list. <laughs> because, because I know you've got the time. Um, but where do these come from? Are you, are you, during the week, are you just keeping note of things? Are you just dotting things down? Because you're so prolific about it. Every week you, you do this. Mm. And and it's always so well articulated and impactful. It's funny. I was the guy in high school that if there was a book report due, I'd try and watch the movie of the same book, or I'd like literally pay off a couple of schoolmates to you know plagiarize their stuff. Sorry, sorry, Mrs. Claridge, my twelve year twelve English teacher. Um, but I do love writing, and these days I read. I read every day as much as I can. Um, Sometimes it's 10 minutes, sometimes it's an hour. About that time of the back yourself thing, um, incident, I don't know what you call it, philosophy was something that I kind of just fell into, in particular Stoicism. Um, I love reading about these ancient people, you know, 2,000 years ago, like Marcus Aurelius, how stuff that they went through and 2000 years ago they were going through the same stuff we were going through they were going through all the same problems and the words that they're writing 2000 years ago are still important now and they'll just be also just little interactions so the factor non verba um i've heard that before and i was at a school um that we will be starting doing martial arts cl- uh, classes with um and I was looking up on the wall in reception and 
I saw their school motto, Facta Non Verba, and I went, deeds, not words, so important. Um, and there'll be just interactions and conversations and I think it's good. I'm a big person these days that as much as sometimes it's easier said than done, that you have to sit back and reflect and have a think. Um, we live in a society now where we move at 4 million miles an hour. We have something in our hand um, or in front of us, you know, literally every day, every minute we're awake, we don't just sit and have a think and have a chill out. Um, I started that, things I've been reminded of this week, I started that probably the better part of two years ago. Um, I just wrote it for just something to do on a Sunday. I didn't intend for it to be an end of the week thing. And it has just stuck. Um, and it is now a, um, it's a weekly thing to the point where a friend of mine who runs a community radio station in Victoria, he reads them every Monday morning on his breakfast slot. Um, I have people messaging me if I haven't put them up by seven o'clock at night going, where, where are they? Are they, are they, you know, have you forgotten? Um, so yeah, it's, it's just, I think, um, I think sometimes we, it's not that we overthink or we assess ourselves too much, but, um, getting back to that vulnerability thing, I think if we really want to grow as people, as coaches, as martial artists, as business people, if you're not checking yourself in and learning something more about yourself or what's around you every day, you know, what's, what's the saying? You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Maybe, maybe you can. You know, you have a chat to someone who says, oh, this, you know, someone will say that person is so set in their ways. They're referring to older people, not younger people. So I think it's good to sit back and reflect and just, and I've had a lot of good feedback about it to the point where I wouldn't say I feel obligated, but I go, oh, this, this is a thing. And yeah, another mentor of mine is getting very pushy with me saying, you need to put these into a book. Um, so I am mucking around with a, a format of that, but uh, yeah, it's it's cool. It's just something that I just enjoy doing. Love it. We'll hold you. When is the release date? Oh God, twenty thirty seven or something. <laughs> <laughs> On my sixtieth birthday. I don't know. Sooner rather than later. I hope. Hey, uh, Carl. It's been awesome. Uh, thanks. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure talking to you. Always insightful. I know you also have a podcast. Um, do you mind sharing if, if it's launched and, and up and running? Um, where can people find it and where can people get learn more, more about you if they want to connect with you? Yeah, sure. Um, so the podcast will be up probably you know, a couple of weeks soon um, and it will just be the Kyle Reba podcast. There, the business side of things, um, if you want to follow us on Facebook, it's just CMA Chikara Martial Arts. Um, our Instagram tag, would you believe, is at just back yourself. Weird. Um, and at mine is at Kyle Reba, K-Y-L-O-E-R-E-B-E-R. -E -E Love it. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kyle. Look no, George, thank you very day. much. Thank you very Excellent. much for the opportunity. You're welcome. Fix it. See you, mate. Cheers.
Epic. How was that? Did you enjoy the episode? Did you get some good value out of it? Most importantly, is there one thing, one thing from this interview that you can take and implement in your business and go make an impact within your community? Now, please do me a favor. If you got something great from this interview, please share it. Share it with another instructor, another martial arts school owner, somebody that you know within the martial arts community that would get great value from this. And be so kind to tag me wherever you do it in social, and I'll be forever thankful for you doing it. Now, if you do need some help growing your martial arts school, or you're just looking for some ideas to fast track your success, we have a great group of school owners that we work with called Partners. It's a community of martial arts school owners here in Australia, United States, Canada, UK, Ireland, New Zealand. So all over, from all over the world, and we get together on a weekly basis, mastermind, we run events, a couple of cool things. Now, if it sounds remotely intriguing and there's a few things that you need help with, uh, reach out. Go to martialartsmedia.com forward slash scale. There's a little form. Uh, fill it out. Just tell me a little bit about your business, what it is, what's going on, the few things that you need help with. And I'll reach out and have a chat and see if there's something that we can help you with. Anyway, thanks a lot for listening. Thanks for tuning in. And I'll see you in the next episode. Cheers. will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening. If you need help building your martial arts school, check out martialartsmedia.com.